Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon podcast. Hello, welcome back everyone. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. Hi, everybody. I want to start by saying, oh, my goodness, thank you to everyone who has left us a nice review lately. Oh, I haven't looked at them. (laughs) Yeah, there have been so many nice ones that have come in since I last asked, and it really warms my heart. So thank you all very much. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you, guys, especially after I went on that, like, tangent (laughs) and that last episode. that's really that's really great and kind of you guys and we appreciate it so much so thank you mm-hmm. I need to go check them out now that's gonna be a fun I was gonna say toilet read <laughs> I don't well, mean that in your reviews or shit and toilet reading material it's just like you know when you have a kid alone time right yeah the well, alone time is when you're on the toilet exactly <laughs> I understand even though I don't have kids um yeah, it's just good quality uh, time Right. And while I'm on this thankful train, I, we have a new patron. <laughs> new patron. Woohoo! <clears throat> so our newest patron goes by the name Your Tank Top Friend, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> because as ex-Mormons, we can now wear tank tops. I love it. That is brilliant. Thank you so much, Tank Top Friend. Love you. I hope when you say Tank Top Friend, Tank Top Friend, are you referring to you can wear a tank top now? Or are you talking about the undershirt tank top down east vibes that you had to wear? <laughs> Please oh. clarify. Oh my goodness. Those down east camis and <laughs> shrugs and cap sleeve tees oh cap sleeve oh those are not good for anyone cap sleeve never works. and they're and they're just not comfortable no <clears throat> not at all I and I feel like at least when we were growing up cap sleeve was the go-to for prom dresses oh, yes. and then eventually for wedding dresses I mean, just a bad trend. In <laughs> I, I don't know if it's still a thing in Mormonism, but yeah. so um, do you have any announcements before we begin? Um, no, just a little fun tidbit. And um, Katie, you'll enjoy this as well. Sorry, those are the, the crinkly noise in the background. I'm moving baby wipes. <laughs> Apologies. They're in my way. Um. <laughs> I had a really fun experience at work this week where we had what was called like origin stories. So you had to talk about yourself for 30 minutes and people were like, oh God, that's horrible. And I was like, ew, horrible slash I love talking about myself. That's why we have this podcast. No, it's not really. But you know, it's easy to chat. So it was fun because they talked about our podcast and it was really cute. So I did the little screenshot of Not So Molly Mormon podcast, like of um, listening on iTunes and then had our fun little story. So Katie, you're well known at work. So is the little cool community that we have. And we have a few new listeners from work who are wow. doing it so far. So it's just fun. It's like this cool little world that we're sharing across all these different areas that it's just wild to me. So yeah. That's- that's so cool. Aw. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So that's, that's my so welcome. Welcome new listeners that are Sarah's coworkers <laughs> and 
brace yourself for poop jokes and a lot of swearing. Uh, apologies and a lot in advance. of sexual jokes. So please do not report me to HR anywhere <laughs> because this is not at work. Okay. This is not on company time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I want to give some credit for my sources today. Because Ooh. today we are going to be covering another Mormon true crime uh, story, but it's a, a reality, you know, not a fiction. Oh uh, my god, yes, Katie. Have you been craving some true crime? Literally yesterday or the day before, one of my colleagues was like, so I know you have this podcast, but what podcast do you like to listen to? And I was like, uh, I'm very basic and I love true crime. Something. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I love it. I'm obsessed. So this is amazing. Yay. Yeah, that's what I listen to mainly as well. And actually, one of my main sources, what brought my attention to this, I'd never heard of it before, but it was featured on my favorite podcast, Wine and Crime. Ooh. And that, that's where I heard it. And then I did more research and I got more information from both ABC News and 2020. So those are my sources for this episode. So so excited. Let's jump right in. Janet Christiansen was born June 19th, 1979. She was the seventh of 10 siblings. Oh my God. Can you imagine 10? First of all, being one of those siblings would be crazy, but also being the mother of 10 children. I can't, you guys, I can't, I, what? Yeah, you have I, one. Now time imagine timesing that by ten. How do you birth ten children? I just Where do you put them all? I mean Where do you put them all? <laughs> how does your body recover? How does I don't I can't I don't know. How do you pay for that? How do you pay for it? How do you have the energy? Like honestly, and I, I'm not even exaggerating. And I feel like any parent who's listening will be like yeah what I just can't imagine as you can imagine she grew up in a very tight-knit Mormon family that's why so Uh, many so many kids I'm sure I would imagine that this was maybe one of those families who took the don't use birth control to Mm -hmm. heart kind of thing so Janet was very sweet. She had a large circle of friends and many nieces and nephews, obviously, because of all of her siblings and all of her nieces and nephews adored her. Very cute. <clears throat> In 1998 at Southern Virginia University, Janet met a man named Raven Abaroa. <clears throat> yeah, okay. his, name's, his name's Raven. <laughs> and he's Raven also- as in the bird. Yeah, as in the bird. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But he is a white man. Just, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Also, and he's also a Mormon, or as they say, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Latter-day but, back, Saints. but back in 1998, it was still okay to say you were a Mormon. <laughs> 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 they both played soccer at the university, or as Sarah might want to say now, football. <laughs> it's true. It sounds so weird to even say like soccer now. That's weird. Okay. Yes, football. So they both played that at university, and Raven instantly swept her off her feet. He was very charismatic, and they began dating. Okay? Okay. Fun fact that I didn't know, uh, Southern Virginia University is a private university that is voluntarily aligned with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I did know that. You knew that? You were 
You are more educated than I. No, yes. the only reason why I knew that is because it's like the BYU on the East Coast. And my brother, who was Mormon at the time, really, really wanted to go there. Um, and I think he was accepted, but he didn't go there because at the time, and it, it could still be true now, it wasn't an accredited university. Like it wouldn't be acceptable mm. if you transferred to like to transfer to most universities. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's still the case or not. Yeah. But yeah, it has a code of conduct like the yeah. honor code and more than nine in 10 of the students are Mormon and mm-hmm. one in three are returned missionaries. Oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. So Raven won over Janet's family by talking about how important the church was to him and how he had gone on a mission to Peru. Isn't that always the case? Always. Like you talk about your mission and you're in and people will go, He's an RM. He's a priesthood holder. I'll trust him. He's wearing garments. I'll trust Mm -hmm. him. Yep. In August 2000, after two years together, Janet and Raven Abaroa married at the LDS Temple in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. (laughs) They settled in southeastern Virginia, and her friends and family thought that life for the newlywed couple was perfect as you always think, right? Yeah. Soon after their wedding, a job opportunity moved the couple to Durham, North Carolina, where they both took positions at a sporting goods company. They still appeared to be the perfect young Mormon couple, but Janet's sisters told ABC News that at the time, the couple was beginning to have some problems. Uh Uh Janet's sister Sonia said, quote, Raven came to her one day, three years into their marriage, and told her that he had been cheating on her with several different people. (gasps) Yeah. That's not very Mormon. (laughs) Right? You're not supposed to do that. And he said he wasn't seeking forgiveness. He wanted out of the marriage. What a bastard. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. The divorce rate for practicing Mormons is six to nine percent versus oh. the nationwide average of in the states, it's over 50 percent. I so, didn't know that. Yeah, we all know, right, how taboo divorce is in the yeah. church. But can I point out, it's 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 taught that you're supposed to avoid divorce at almost all costs, but the cheating husband we see kind of over and over and then the woman's just supposed to forgive him and they're supposed to make the marriage work yep but you know what like I and maybe you experienced this as well knew quite a lot of people okay a lot maybe is not right I knew a few people in Utah who their families it was like very obvious that the dad was cheating or would have like a family somewhere else and they would always be traveling for work Mm -hmm. or for something Mm -hmm. and it was just kind of like this thing you never talked about and you definitely would never imply that it was cheating but you just knew you just just knew knew. but Mm -hmm. you just didn't talk about it and you you sweep it under the rug it's this ugly thing you don't want to confront yeah and you want and especially I'm sure for the family you want to appear like the perfect Mormon family and so even if the wife has her suspicions or even knows sometime out sometimes outright she just decides to let it go and yeah. stays which is really heartbreaking yeah it is and Janet was kind of in that camp she was devastated and she didn't want to get divorced she 
she wanted to fight for her marriage and she didn't want to have that stigma of being the divorced young single single person again after being married for just a little while. Yeah, because for those of you who are never more Mormon, that's like, it's hard to come back from that. Like, it's well, hard right. for you to get married again if you're labeled as the young divorcee. Right, because at that point, to use that awful analogy, you're chewed gum. Yes. Because you've been married, which means that you've had sex, and now no other worthy priesthood holder will want you, which is it's so- hor- horrific. And to add, just to add so much to this, right after he told her that he was cheating on her, Janet found out she was pregnant. <gasps> so oh. it just makes it worse, right? Now she, does, she doesn't want the stigma of being a single mom on top of oh, it all. That's so horrible. So when she finds out she's pregnant, it should have been one of the happiest times of her life. But instead, Janet told her family she felt helpless. She didn't want to raise the baby as a single mother. And she asked them to help her convince Raven to stay with her. So her family and friends rallied around her and they persuade Raven to try to make the marriage work. Which I just find that... Isn't that so sad? I would not want to be with someone if my friends and family had to persuade him to stay with me. I know. That, that's not love. That's not love. And also, like, I'm way too prideful. Like, I would never, like, my pride would never allow me. I'd be like, well, fuck you. If you don't want to be with me, then here's the door. Get out. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, I could never, ever imagine myself. But then I guess as a whole, I say that as a woman who has a very supportive partner and I have a kid. Mm-hmm. So maybe if I didn't have a supportive partner with, with a kid, I, you know, maybe I'd be saying. Right. I think this says a lot about her mindset and especially how dependent some Mormon women can become on yeah. on their husbands and how avoiding getting a divorce is more important than having a partner who actually values you. Yeah, exactly. It's really sad. So Raven eventually decided he was going to try to make it work. He swore up and down that he wouldn't have any more affairs and he would be a good husband and father to his family. So with the birth of their baby boy named Caden, the Abaroa's marriage seemed to be on the mend. Janet was so happy to be a mom over the moon. It was obviously her been her goal since she was a little girl because in the church you're told you need to get married and have children. That's your job. Yeah. And Raven was going around telling everybody at church how great their relationship was, that they were doing better than ever. And he told everyone that the issue with their marriage, it just had been communication all along. What? No, it's called you put the dick <laughs> in someone else. And yeah. That's called, what it's called. Called you can't keep it in your pants, bro. It's yeah. not communication oh fuck off I hate that so much yeah isn't he just already the worst so Janet's family was still quite a bit skeptical of him though because they knew about all the cheating and they got even more concerned when they noticed him getting into these intense angry moods and acting out and sometimes getting violent so one time, Raven accused Janet's brother of stealing money from him. It, he didn't steal money, but he accused him of it. And 
Then he grabbed his head, slammed it against the wall, and said, you don't know what I'm capable of. Jesus. Okay. Janet's brother didn't tell Janet about this incident because he didn't want to add stress to her life, which I'm not blaming him, but also tell. (laughs) I know. It's one of those things, isn't it, where it's, it's so obvious to people on the outside. Like, why wouldn't you tell someone that? Why would you keep that to yourself? But then... It's always around the, well, maybe it was just a one-off. and Yeah, maybe it was a one-off thing. I don't want to, like, add stress to their relationship, blah, blah, blah. It's just, I know, it's rough because it's not his fault, but I I, I would be concerned if my sibling was in a relationship with someone who slammed my head against the wall and said, you don't know what I'm capable of. Oh, my God, definitely. definitely. Yeah. So then... Janet suffered another blow. Raven was caught stealing from the sports apparel company where they both worked in December 2004. Oh, my God. He eventually pleaded guilty to five charges of embezzlement, <gasps> but he avoided he avoided serving jail time. I think he just got some fines. I don't know the exact details of that, but um, avoid? I don't. I don't know, a privileged white man, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, there it is. And, there it is. And he, <laughs> I mean, what it, ugh, it, again, not a very good Mormon, thou shalt not steal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So on April 26, 2005, Raven Abaroa said his wife had been getting ready for bed around 8 p.m., like me, 8 p.m. <laughs> bedtime. <laughs> When he left to play soccer at an indoor soccer league with friends. And I just had to pause here. I can envision this Mormon indoor soccer league so perfectly. Can you picture it? Me too. I mean, I already, I went instantly to my head and thinking about those um, massive like security startup companies in Utah that have like a full on basketball court and indoor yes. soccer court uh-huh. in their office building that's yeah. what I'm thinking of right now yeah I'm thinking of that and then I'm also picturing uh it's not indoor but I <laughs> a few times I went and watched soccer leagues at BYU it was outdoors but oh my goodness so cringe to me because oh it's uh, so cringe I, <laughs> I see them perfectly I would go to those who they play on the lawn so not just only like the actual soccer games on the the football uh, football pitch there we go there's the british <laughs> in me in the soccer field um but they would like play just around campus and i had that thing for that british mormon guy and he was like you want to go play football with me and i was like okay okay <laughs> yes i mean to be <laughs> clear we're not <laughs> to be clear we're not throwing any shade to soccer players because i could well, never it's amazing but we're specifically just saying byu cringe yeah. soccer tournaments because of the culture yeah. <laughs> And the campus where it's like they play soccer, but it's not because they want to play soccer. It's to to get a date or slash to meet people to meet people yeah. and get married. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so do do Brits do they call um did they just call it American football? So they they'll say yeah. So you know what? I can go off on a tangent on this, but I learned that the word soccer actually derives from the UK as well. So it's a different way of saying football. 
Oh. And then we just, for some reason, decided to take soccer instead of football. But it, technically, in the UK, it comes like it's football or soccer. But they went with football, and we, like Americans, decided to do soccer. It's a whole so, fascinating tangent I went down on, like, a word origin. <laughs> so when referencing the NFL, do they call it uh, just American football? Yeah. or <laughs> I was going to say, do they call it handball? <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's a whole other sport, which is crazy in and of itself. Yeah, so no, they say American football and then okay. British and football, then, which yeah, is football, sport. which is soccer. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> All right. So he goes to play soccer slash football, and then on the way home, he says he stops at a convenience store to pick up some snacks. Then he says he returned home after 10 p.m. Just after 10 p.m. He entered his house and he found his wife Janet dead in their <gasps> bed with blood everywhere. Oh. I know. I know. It's terrible. She was just 25 years old. Oh my god. And with she had just had a tiny little baby. Oh, stop it. My postpartum can't handle that. I know. Oh. I know. So, um Raven called 911 and in the call he hysterically tells the operator, my wife is dead, she's been shot, there's blood everywhere, she's not breathing. Although Raven said his wife had been shot, Durham police and first responders quickly realized that she had actually been stabbed multiple <gasps> times, not shot. Oh, I think that, I mean, any way you look at it, it's horrendous, it's horrible, death is death. But stabbing to me is just such a more violent, as in mm-hmm. it's like... It's actual physical action that you're doing instead of just pulling a trigger, right? Like it's Absolutely. like you're, it's so much more aggressive and brutal, and it's more intimate in that yes. you have to be much closer to the person. Yes. Exactly. And you're, oh, it gives me the shivers. At 5 a.m. the next morning, Raven called Janet's family and told them that Janet had died by suicide. <gasps> what? He, he told them that she had sh- shot herself, which, of course, is not what happened. And that's not what the police said. And her family did not believe this for one second. She had never shown signs of suicidal ideation. And, you know, that's not to say that that can't happen, that someone can be hiding those. But they said she would have never left her son and she would no, have never like, done that. Um, and then the autopsy comes out proving that she was stabbed, not shot, which investigators knew all along. And her family was like, yeah, see, she, she didn't, she didn't kill herself. Someone stabbed her. Like, how dumb can you be? There's going to be an autopsy. I know. How how stupid do you have to be to be like, no, no, no. She shot herself. And it's like, she clearly stabbed multiple times. They're going to find that out. They're going to find that out. And to be that bold to call her family and say that she died by suicide when she did not. Yeah. How dumb do you have to be? They're going to know. They're going to exactly, find but out. It's also just so insulting and so fucked to her memory to be like. Absolutely. She was. Yeah, that's that's horrible. And that makes it even more traumatic for her family because they're told one thing and then it's actually another thing. I, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine oh. being told that about a loved one. I, oh. oh. So investigators get even more suspicious when they are searching the home and they realize that Raven's laptop is missing. (gasps) 
as well as one of his knives from his fucking knife collection. He's so dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. He claims that the knife was stolen before Janet was murdered. How convenient. Right? <laughs> the one knife in your knife collection was stolen. Great. Okay. Uh, so Janet's family obviously is devastated and desperately searching for more information about what happened to their loved one. And of course, they suspect Raven, but there is zero actual physical evidence connecting him to the crime scene. So police can't arrest him. So what? frustrating. So, there's no trick. I mean, I keep saying that he's quite dumb, but like, obviously he knows something to not leave behind any trace. Yeah, there's no, there was no evidence of his fingerprints there. They couldn't find the knife. They never found any murder weapon. And he supposedly had an alibi, but I think that there's that, you know, in that, that two hour window, there's time that he could have done something and then still played soccer, you know? Yeah, definitely. So you would think a man who just lost his wife would be trying to help to do anything and everything he could for the investigation, right? That's what you would think. But what does he do? He immediately files for her life insurance policy before she's buried. Okay, yeah. So now I'm back on the he's dumb train. And then... What? And then, very quickly, he packs all his belongings and packs up his son, Caden... And they move to Salt Lake City. What? Yeah, this fucker. Wow. Yeah, and everyone's like, he did it. He's the one that did it. And they're still just trying to search for evidence to prove that he did it. And it's it's so frustrating. Soon after moving to Salt Lake City, he meets a woman named Vanessa Pond, who is a single Mormon mother Uh who's... Um, whose daughter was in the same daycare program as Raven's son, Caden. So he met this this vulnerable woman at daycare. She's a single Mormon mom. And uh, Vanessa thought Raven seemed very, quote, upfront, honest, genuine. And then oh, she found, no. This, I know. I'm being quiet because I'm just like, I feel like I'm watching a true crime documentary. Or You're like, just like, no, 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 no. Like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. When she found out he was a single dad, she said she really admired that. Oh. <sighs> they started dating. And eventually, Raven told Vanessa that his former wife had been killed by a home intruder. But how long had were they dating before like that? Came I think up? a little while. I, I don't think wild. it was very long, but a little while. So he's like, I'll tell you what happened to my wife. She got killed by a home intruder. Now, I want to go back. So there's never been a theory at all from any investigators that there was a home intruder. There was no evidence of a break-in. And nothing was missing from the home except for the laptop and the knife. Now, her engagement ring and wedding ring were at the house so you and it was they were right there on the kitchen counter if there was a home invasion and they were there to burgle and then something went wrong and they stabbed her wouldn't they take the diamond ring come on but no they're just gonna take your laptop okay raven that's so stupid 
So she hears this from him and it makes her feel more empathy. Like, oh my God, this poor, or, oh my gosh, <laughs> this yeah. poor man lost his wife. But then she also got curious because he didn't tell her details. I was and, just about to say, like, I feel like if this happened now, whoever you date, you would like Google who they are. And especially if you heard this and you would Google, right? Like, well, so, girl, that's what she did. Okay. So it, yeah. it's like she was born or his first wife who was murdered was born in the 70s. So I was trying to uh-huh. connect like when that yeah. would be. Okay. I believe this was in 2005-ish. Okay. So she did have Google and she decided to take to the old Google machine to learn the old more. old dial-up at that time. <laughs> yeah. And Vanessa got a bit concerned because she qu- quickly realized it was very easy to find out that this wasn't a closed case. There was no suspect of a home intruder. It was still very much an ongoing investigation and... Raven was the prime suspect. Oh my God, chills. Imagine you, you oh, being in this situation. Oh, you've been dating this man oh. who you thought was so nice. He's the single dad. And he tells you the story. You Google him and everything online is saying that he's the suspect. They're just looking for evidence that he did it. Oh, so scary and creepy. That gives me chills. I what? What would you do in that situation? I don't know because, like, obviously you wouldn't want to date that person. Like, I would be like, okay, I don't want to date this person. But then I would be scared that he would like turn on me. So I'd have to figure out how to end it without him wanting to like basically come after me. Right? It's terrifying. I'd be scared. Well, Vanessa did something a little different. She confronted him with this information and during that long conversation he charmed her into believing his version of the story he told her he had these stories about how people were trying to frame him and how horrible the cops were and how they were not doing their job right and how he continued to try to contact police to find out new info and they just weren't telling him anything and it was all a conspiracy against Raven and she decided to believe him and not long how can you believe like never ever believe the suspect like the husband who's a prime suspect in a murder case like do not believe them who immediately after his wife dies takes her life insurance and flees the state yeah come on and has a knife collection in which one of those knives. <sighs> yeah. But not long after this, Raven proposes to Vanessa. Ugh, she says doctor. yes. No! What the fuck? And in they summer have a pregnant. Two- uh, they have in- a baby. They have a pregnant. <laughs> they have a pregnant. No. <laughs> in summer 2008, just three years after Janet Abarroa's death, which was still unsolved, Vanessa and Raven were married. Wow, my God, that's, how can that, how was the investigation going on this long? Like, it must, okay, I'll let you get into it, but I'm just like, how can it be three years later and they didn't find anything? To anything? I know. It's, I can't imagine being her family and just seeing him walk free and have this life. And with so, her son, that's the part yes. that I find, like, heart-wrenching is, yes. I mean, the whole thing is shit and heart-wrenching, but 
this poor son is away from his mom's family his and mom's doesn't family. know the truth of what happened with to his mom. His aunts and uncles and his grandparents. Yeah. So during their honeymoon, Raven started telling Vanessa about how angry he could get at Janet. How mad she would make him sometimes. Oh my god. This is during their honeymoon. He is telling his new wife how angry he would get at his dead wife. <gasps> like, what the fuck, dude? So, what? not long after this, Vanessa said Raven began acting in ways she didn't understand. Vanessa said, quote, Within moments, he could switch. He would say the most horrible things, and then moments later, he would apologize. So, verbal abuse. Uh, yep. Then... The outbursts became physical. She said, quote, he tripped me or he grabbed me from the door, threw me up against the wall, and then I fell. Later, he tried to convince me that I had tripped. What? So <gasps> gaslighting, just abusing her and then telling her, no, you just tripped. Oh. <sighs> Vanessa quickly realizes that Raven was not who she thought he was, and she feared for her life and safety. Just four months into their marriage, the couple separated and the marriage was annulled. Vanessa went public with her fears that he killed his first wife. And Vanessa even said she was certain if she had stayed with him, he would have killed her too. Oh my God. Good for her. Good. I know. I was like, yes, her. Vanessa, get out of there. I, I, I was so scared learning about this. I was like, oh no, he's gonna, he's gonna kill another woman. Oh. <sighs> so... After she comes out with this, the Durham police hear word of it, and they assign a new detective to Janet Abaroa's case, Detective Soul. Because everyone is certain that Raven committed the murder, but they just don't have the evidence yet. And it's been four years, like you said. Come on. Like, four years. <laughs> like, there's, this guy has a knife missing from his collection. There's so many, like, it's so blatantly obvious that it's him. Mm -hmm. Surely he left behind something. Like, come on. Right? Something. So Detective Soul starts going painstakingly back through just fine tooth comb through all the evidence, just, just dedicating his life to this. And as he was reviewing crime scene photos, Detective Soul said something stuck out to him as odd. Uh -oh. He said, quote, I noticed the contact lens case on the counter, on, on the, it was on the bedside table, and the top of it was indicating to me that there was a likelihood that the contacts were probably not in there, which would be contrary to her going to bed. So, oh. yeah, all of Janet's family and friends said that this was, Janet would never go to bed without taking out her contact lenses. Even if she was just going to watch TV for a while, she would still take out her contact lenses before she even sat in the bed because she didn't want to keep them in overnight. Um, yeah. And this was no, just I like, get that. She, I'm a contact yeah. lens wearer. I totally get that. Yeah. 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 She never, ever, ever left them in. And the contact lenses has had never been found. Anywhere in the house. They, they weren't in the case. They weren't in the bathroom. They weren't anywhere. And he, he was, he started, Detective Soul was like, where are the contacts? If she was, if she was going to bed while he was going to soccer and she always took her contacts out, where are they? Whoa. Good, good spot, Detective. 
I know. So Detective Soul calls an ophthalmologist named Dr. Zwirling, which I love that name. uh, And he asked him if it would be possible to identify contact lenses that had been in a dead body for over four years. (gasps) The doctor said that contacts do disintegrate over time, but it would be possible that they could still be in her eyes. Oh my God, this is crazy. So in July 2010, Janet Abaroa's body was exhumed. And Dr. Zwirling examined the remains and said, quote, After I received these fragments and I then cleaned them, I washed them with sterile water to get a better view. The material actually swelled from the water and resumed a convex shape typical of your contact lens. But the key finding was finding the numbers 1, 2, 3 on sample A. This was conclusive evidence that this was an AccuView contact lens. What? They were in her eyes. She was buried with her contact lenses still on her eyes. Oh, my God. This, obviously, was proof that Janet had been wearing her contacts when she was killed. She had never taken them out, so she wasn't getting ready for bed after all. This was proof that Raven had lied to the police. So, yeah, they did this whole thing, like, where they they proved, like, the level of disintegration. He did all these experiments uh, that, uh, that Dr. Zwirling did where he put the, the contact lens on pig eyes and then buried them and then, and then showed how they disintegrated. It was this really long process, but it was really cool. So it was like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, these were definitely in her eyes, and he definitely killed her while her contacts were still in and then left to go play soccer. And then came back and called 911. So, oh my God. Uh, so Ra- Raven was arrested. And during his trial, which began in 2013, prosecutors presented him as a controlling husband. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> Vanessa Pond, you know, his other, his second yeah. wife, she testified as a witness for the prosecution. And she detailed how she saw Raven become extremely violent on the soccer field and how his aggression turned toward her. In May 2013, the jury failed to reach a verdict, deadlocking. How? Yeah, it was 11 to 1 on a guilty verdict. So 11 of them were like, yeah, he's guilty. And one of them was a holdout. Oh, my well, God. What is, who is this one person? A white dude, I guarantee you, who's like, oh, nah. Yeah, no, nah, he seems like a good Mormon guy. He wouldn't do that. Dude. So the judge declared a mistrial. And... Before Raven's second trial was supposed to begin in March 2014, he entered an Alford plea for voluntary manslaughter, which acknowledges that there was evidence to convict, but he was not admitting guilt. So this means he would get a shorter sentence. The the Alford pleas are so interesting. Um, Yeah. Okay, be prepared to just... mm. A judge sentenced him to between 95 and 123 months in jail. What? But he was granted credit for the four years he had spent behind bars before and during his trial, which was applied as time served. This is so fucked up. Raven Abaroa was released from prison on Christmas Day in 2017, and he currently lives in Utah. <gasps> what? 
Yeah. Vanessa Pond said, quote, I was shocked. But more than that, I was shocked at what the plea deal turned out to be. That's not justice at all. It's just not justice. Oh, that's horrible. That actually makes me really sad. Not not only for her, but definitely for, obviously, his victim. Like, his yeah. poor wife was murdered and her family will never have justice. Her family. I And, and her son. Uh, his son. I can't imagine growing up. And perhaps discovering that. I don't know. I, I hope that he doesn't live with him. I wouldn't think he does. But um, isn't that crazy? Isn't that the most wild story? What are your thoughts? I have so many. I just feel like it, it, it's so typical of the stereotype of a Mormon guy. Not that all Mormon men are murderers. That's not what I'm saying. But this gaslighting this you know oh we're gonna get married we're gonna play house we're gonna do all the things but we're gonna hide some deep dark secrets and then make your the wife feel almost bad but how many times have we heard this true crime story in the mormon world where it's a guy Mm -hmm. who just doesn't want to divorce his wife because of how the church is and so instead of divorcing to have an affair to go off with someone else they kill them yep like, mm-hmm. it's honestly, I think this is like the third one we've covered. That's I think like, at least, yeah. At least. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's disgusting. And mm-hmm. I just also, it makes me, it's infuriating to know that obviously it was a mess up with the cops who ever investigated initially because there's no way that this guy had a crystal clear, like, no evidence left behind in that murder scene. I mean, right. it just can't. It, it, I, it just can't be. This there guy would have to be something. Enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's I no agree way. with you. I and agree with you. Also that it was like stabbing, which means that it's more likely to have like evidence on him because it's close contact. Mm-hmm. There's like all these different elements. It's not just yeah. a gun and a bullet that you have to find. Like it's it's close proximity that would be on his clothes, all these different evidence and like the fact that there's nothing. Yeah, I there had to have been something and they didn't they didn't do a great job, I don't I don't think, at the crime scene. And the fact that he claimed she died by suicide is disgusting That's because he knew all along what he did. And I, I even if I was Vanessa, I'd be terrified. He's he's free. He's out, he's out. He's out there and he could easily just lie about his background. He's he fits the, the the profile of all the other Mormon killers that they're just able to really schmooze and mm-hmm. basically convince you that they're really great people. They're a great Peter priesthood. They're, you know, worthy. They're good, outstanding family men or men, you know, and then yeah. and, and also like no offense. And this is like a generalization, but most, not most, a vast majority, which is the same thing as most uh, women in Utah who are Mormon who grew up in the bubble are quite like naive right they're trusting mm-hmm. they're gonna trust a guy like this and yes. then it's just gonna happen again how sickening does it make you feel that this man most likely goes to a Mormon ward goes to a, a church every Sunday and sits yeah. amongst people and has most likely changed his name I would guess oh. and is maybe yeah dating mormon women going to mormon functions oh my god currently it makes it makes me actually feel sick 
Yeah, it makes me feel because I'm just scared. I'm scared for these women. They're, I wonder if he has to be on some kind of registry. I don't know. I'm not sure. I would assume so, but I don't know. I don't, but, I'm not sure. You know, a, a takeaway from this is, damn, you don't, like, don't, as we've said so many times, if, you know, you just can't trust someone just because they say they went on a mission. I hold exactly. the priesthood. And you're conditioned quite a bit growing up LDS because we both were in the young women's program. You know, you can, you would be taught if he is an RM, if he has the priesthood, he will take care of you. And that's just not always the case. You got to make sure he's an actual good person. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but also it's not your fault. It's not the victim's fault at all no. because he was very charismatic and hit it very well and was a liar and so I'm not in any way saying it was Janet or Vanessa's fault but it was, I, I just wish so desperately that these Mormon women especially could get a bit more education on what to look for and then also how to manage domestic abuse because poor you know poor Janet she was experiencing it and, and he was cheating on her and she still just put up with it because she wanted a husband so badly oh uh, you just want to tell everyone and like, especially in the Mormon community, the women, like you can leave. It's okay. Like don't stay in these relationships because you feel like you have to, or because of what appearances will look like or whatever the fuck, like just get out. It's mm-hmm. oh, heartbreaking, like heartbreaking. I know. So that is the story. Rest in peace, Janet. And I'm sorry to be a bummer, but I thought it was important to tell her story and to, also, I guess, look up what this guy looks like if you live in Utah and um, be aware if you see him around because he's out walking free. And be aware, exactly. And I think you did a really well job of honoring, it was Janet, right? Janet, yeah. Not yeah. Vanessa, sorry. Of Janet. And her, I'm sure her family, this would mean hopefully something to them because obviously justice was not served for her her at all and that's terrible like absolutely shit yeah yeah oh anyway that concludes this week's episode thank you all for listening and we'll be back next week we'll be back bye bye